Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast. In association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hello podcast fans, my name is Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. Shock and awe in the Premier League this weekend. Shock at St James's Park where Newcastle conquered Manchester United and awe at Eastlands where Manchester City continued their unstoppable march towards footballing perfection against Leicester. Plenty more to get into domestically, including the North London derby, Virgil van Dijk's happy return to St Mary's and all change in the bottom half, as has become traditional. We'll look ahead to the resumption of European football with Mina Rizuki as Liverpool, Spurs and Manchester City all travel into the mainland to face continental opposition of varying quality. Plus everything you could possibly want to know about the forthcoming Premier League TV rights deal. And an answer to the question, are we all going to be watching Bournemouth versus Stoke next season on Facebook? But first, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a very special guest. He's got 78 caps for his country. He's a Nottingham Forest legend, currently assisting David Moyes at West Ham. And he's got a thing or two to teach us all about the Stranglers. I'm talking, of course, about Stuart Pearce. Stuart, how are you? Brilliant. Really good, thank you. Yeah, coming off the back of a Mm. wonderful home win against Watford Mm. on Saturday, which we'll start with... You really went for it with your starting lineup against Watford. Did it feel like a gamble to go with Arnautovic, Hernandez, and Joao Mario all in the same starting lineup? Um, I think David's got a, a bit of a conundrum when Lanzini comes back in a couple of weeks as well. You know, um, it was good to have Marco back. He gives you that punch and pace up front. Antonio coming back into the fold as well, another attacking option. Joao Mario obviously is more of an attacking player, so there was a lot. Um, a lot of onus really on our midfield players, Chiatti and Noble, to make sure that they they stabilised the middle of the pitch. But I think it went pretty well yesterday. It was a sort of end-to-end game. You saw it yourself, so it was all there. But we come out on top, and the way the results have gone this weekend, it was a really important victory for us. Absolutely. Marco Arnautovic, absolutely superb in that game. Mm. How do you explain his slow start at West Ham? I think he was playing on the the left or right-hand side of midfield. I think playing up front suits him. He's a dynamic athlete. He's he's strong. He's he's an intelligent footballer. And it probably suits him better and you get his best work when he's working maybe um, 
it's a burst, then he can relax a little bit. As a striker, he can do that. As a wide midfield player, you've basically got to be perpetually on the move, up and down defensively. And I just think it suits him. And, and you know, if I was Mark, I'd be thanking uh, David Moyes. I think he's playing the best football of his career. I really do, playing in, in that forward advanced area and give him freedom to go sort of anywhere he wants across the front line has, has been a masterstroke from David. Yeah, really superb performance for him. Antonio playing as left wing back, a position mm. you played yourself mm. in uh, the World Cup in 1990. How different was that to how you played previously in your club career? Um, it's a tough position, to be honest with you. You've really got to cover the mileage and the yard up and down the uh, pitch. The positional sense that you've got to have when you play that position, which I didn't have, I'm afraid to say, and probably done three times the amount of running that a more intelligent wing back would do. You know, it's it's taking up a good position when the ball's on the opposite side. So when it does arrive at you, you've not got to make up 30, 40, 50 yards to, to get into the correct position. Um, I, I think yesterday, Antonio certainly created our first goal for us with a fantastic surging run. Um, probably re-looking at the game again, he probably played slight, maybe 10 yards slightly deeper than he should have done. Um, but it was a brave call by by Moisey and uh, I think he got it right on the day. Certainly, uh, Antonio had a contribution, a big one to the first goal and, and the second goal as well from, from a short corner he's involved in. How do you coach a change in position like that? Um, what I think you've got to do is, you know, uh, I'm fortunate at the moment to work for a very thorough manager that, that tries to sort of... Uh, impart as much knowledge as he can on his team in regard to what he wants from him positionally and obviously individually as well as well as collectively but I think what you've got to do is just give pointers um, as you go and then at half time if things aren't right in any way shape or form try and give a little bit of knowledge video clips to them at half time even and then mornings like tomorrow morning when we go into work will be vitally important for us to get a message across what did we do well what didn't we do well and how can we improve always happen on the first day back after a game for you? In the main, not always, but in the main it's it's one of those where we like to sort of round off the weekend and this is what we were looking to do. We, we remind them of uh, this was the game plan. Did it succeed or did it not? Why did it succeed or why did it not succeed? And how can we move on and be better in the next game? You, of course, spent a couple of years towards the end of your career with West Ham. Were those good years for you? Yeah, really good. I've got to say... Um, I'd, I'd been out the team at Newcastle for six months, basically, and, and I thought at the age of, I think, 37 I was at the time, I thought I wasn't going to play again, potentially, and just see my contract out at Newcastle. And as fortunate, I, I rung... Um, Personally, I rung, I got a clearance from Newcastle to go and find myself another club if I could get one. I rung five managers. Uh, and Gordon Strachan was one, Graham Taylor was another, Harry Redknapp was another. Did you not have an agent to do that for you? I had an agent, but I'd prefer to do it myself, you know, so at least managers knew directly from me as a player, look, I'm a free agent if you want to sign me. Um, four of the five thought that I was a bit long in the tooth and my legs had gone, Harry Redknapp. Uh, was saying yes, 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 but I had to get it past his chairman. Week before the season started, um, I, he rang me on the Friday morning before the Saturday week of the first game. Uh, Tottenham uh, were the visitors to Upton Park, first game of the season. That's a big game for West Ham fans. 
he rang me and said, there's a contract here for you, you're starting next Saturday. So, uh, But it turned in, you know, eight games in, I got called up for England again, played a couple of games for England, broke my leg twice in that first season, won the West Ham Player of the Year the following season. It was a real up and down, but fantastic to work for Harry and fantastic to have that in at West Ham. The fans are special there, aren't they? I got mm. a sense of it on Saturday yeah, there yeah. in the stands with, with a fan. Do you ever get that feeling as a player? Can you tell when it's a sort of good group and a supportive mm. group and a group that cares more uh, from club to club? Yeah, you can. I, th- I think we're fortunate in the, in this country and, and in Britain, if you like, that every club's got its own sort of DNA, you know. Your Newcastle are special fans. They turn out in droves. West Ham are the same. They let you know if they're not happy. Make no mistake about that. But if you're putting a shift in for the team, they'll back you to the hill, you know. And if things aren't going particularly well at times and the club are on the back foot, they'll galvanise the team by, by their vocality from the uh, terraces. On the subject of Newcastle United, an unexpected 1-0 victory for them over Manchester United on Sunday. A fantastic debut for Martin Dubravka in goal. Superb save at the end, especially from Michael Carrick. How hard is it to play against a keeper when they're so obviously on one as Dubravka was? Well, his handling was exemplary, you know. Um, I I watched the game and... um his shot stopping was good but his handling for crosses and everything was exemplary and I think it looked like one of those games where you know you expect United to to, to crank up the pressure especially after uh, Newcastle scored but I never fancied Newcastle Manchester to score to be honest with you I thought Newcastle were fairly comfortable in the game and a goalkeeper on great form Jose Mourinho of course has never won in the Premier League at St James's Park mm. is there ever a common thread between those sorts of records with managers or is it just purely coincidental that he's not managed at Chelsea or now Man U well I think it's coincidence but it's a big coincidence because you know he's won near enough everywhere he's, he's taken a team to play I would suspect and to have not won there that's quite a surprising stat to be honest with you but I think he'll be more disappointed with not just the result probably the performance of his team I don't think that, that they really got off to Newcastle um, they had the odd skirmish around their goal but they'll be disappointed with that but I don't know how much of that is is influenced by Manchester City turning the screw on the Premier League I don't know whether the other teams are looking and saying look um, you know we're playing for second place now and I think that's that's maybe their mentality Yeah he certainly seemed quite calm after the game mm. Brino, and he said beforehand he should win an award for the best behaved manager mm. on the touchline does that chime with your experiences of uh, him in the technical area? He's been really good to be fair I've got to say when he first came to this country I met him with Steve Clark at a Charlton game and uh, he's been brilliant I, I've taken my son to watch training at Chelsea you know and when I've been in my role as under 21 manager going to watch and he's been He's been really hospitable, I've got to say, you know, and uh, I've always found him a very intelligent man. He's, his record goes before him, doesn't it? You hear that a lot from people in the game. Is mm. it a case that it's one persona for the media and one that he actually is the actual guy? Yeah, I think with managers nowadays, they, they like maybe to stoke things up for the benefit of their squad or to get sort of hidden messages out there a little bit, you know, and... Uh, I certainly think he's cute enough to know exactly what he's doing in regard to if he wants to get a bit volatile with the media. Another big win for Manchester City at home to Leicester. Three assists for Kevin De Bruyne. When you're coming up against a player as good as him, Mm. do you make any special plans? Do you single them out and figure out a way to deal with them specifically? Definitely. Um, I think anyone that's that's watched Manchester City this season and I know our preparation going into the Man City game, we had... um, you know, looked at them extensively as we do all teams, you know, and uh, we tried to sort of 
stop the supply line, if you like, you know, from the likes of Silver and De Bruyne, because if you snuff that out, then hopefully you're going to stop the ball going to people like Aguero, who can score in the box. But, you know, they are very talented individuals. You can put a plan in place, but when it comes down to individuals one against one, I mean, he, he's having a wonderful season. And I think in years gone by, when I first went into management in the 90s, you could look at the opposition and say, we're going to man-to-man mark that individual. It might have been, in, in my time, Zola, maybe you play against Chelsea or um, uh, Janino at Middlesbrough or McManaman, who was having a good time at Liverpool. Now they've got so many talented players, the best teams, you just can't stop all of them. Is there a danger that if you focus too much on someone like De Bruyne, it's mm. just going to end up being silver that mm. hurts you? Yeah, I think so. You, you can't. If you start doubling and trebling up on one individual, they've got enough in their team. And basically, as everyone does now, when you go to Manchester City, you've got to respect them. They they bank up behind the ball and they hope to get lucky on the day. But City are a special talent now. Quite, yeah. They tend to score a lot of late goals as well, City. 23 so far this season in the last 15 minutes of their games. That's more than any other team by a distance in the league. Is that a result of defenders just getting exhausted at the end of the games because they've been chasing them around Mm. all day? I think it's an accumulation of a few things, you know. It's like a dam building up with water, really. The pressure builds up and builds up. And the intensity of their attacks builds up again as well, you know. So you're defending when you're potentially fatigued. You're also, as well, they're asking you more and more questions at a high tempo. They're moving the ball quicker. And once they they get you sort of one-on-ones in the box and they're passing so acute and you've only got to look this year alone, you know, Sterling's come from a player that probably on a good, really good season was getting six, seven goals a season, if you're lucky, to someone who's got 20 goals a season now. So not only have you got Aguero and various other players scoring, Sterling's chipping in as well. Riyad Mahrez, of course, back for Leicester after his... uh let's call it spell on the sidelines. Uh, does that sort of thing happen a lot behind the scenes and we just don't find out about it? Players going AWOL when they're a bit unhappy? Um, I think with the media exposure nowadays, I think when you know a player has gone missing of, of any description, the media do find out about it and it's highlighted. In, in some ways, I find it a little bit disappointing for the game, you know. Um, he's an outstanding talent and, you know, he's done extremely well for Leicester. So for from Leicester's point of view, especially to not have him in the ranks or, or not being involved in any uh, any games at all is, is a real hurtful thing for them. But hopefully they resolve that. Um, will he move on in the summer? Time will tell. How do you manage a situation like this when a player's got the ump? It's really difficult. I've got to say the politics and... The things outside football, since I've gone back in, certainly at West Ham, um, just accelerates more and more. And as a modern-day manager now, if you only had to deal with the football, the job would be an absolute doddle. The stuff you have to deal with outside football, you know, the the media and the public probably don't know half of of all the politics that you have to deal with, all the off-field problems. The easy part is probably coaching the team and being on the grass. The hard part is trying to be a social worker to 30-odd players, you know. Why has that changed? Is it players taking less responsibility for their own lives? Is it because they've kind of been in the system of football from a very young age? I I think it's a multitude of things I think the exposure of of football nowadays it, it's not a sort of a 
It's not a sort of casual pastime, is it? Let's be fair. Everything you do is in the media eye. Everything that happens to any individual player, chances are you're going to hear about it through the media outlet. As a manager, you have to deal with that. Um, I think more so nowadays you've got chairmen that, that, that want to be hands-on. I, I don't think that was the case some 30, 40 years ago. You know, I think nowadays chairmen want to want to help pick the team. They were, you know, at various clubs that you hear stories. And um, as I say, it's, it's a tougher and tougher job to be a manager. And also as well, it's so volatile, the time that you have to work at a club to turn things round. You know, managers are in and out in seven months, a year, whatever. Some have been in and out in, in less than a handful of games, which is incredible, really. So it, it gives you a, a rocky position to start with as a manager. It was Tottenham 1, Arsenal 0 in the North London derby. It struck me watching this that fullbacks are a real position of strength for Pochettino. He lost Walker mm. to Manchester City. Rose has missed a lot of the year through injury. So Trippier and Davis you know, on Saturday uh, and both mm. played excellently. What's he doing to get the most out of players in that position? Um, I, th- I think uh, what he does... They can handle the ball Tottenham really well, which is enabling the, the, the wing-backs to get, or full-backs to get forward. Now, full well, look, if I do get forward, we're not going to lose possession and I've got to run back 100 yards to defend somebody. So that's a real big thing. When, you, when you've got technicians in your team that look after the ball, uh, like Dembele and the like, you know, it, it gives you confidence to get forward. But... I think Pochettino's done a wonderful job there. I wondered at the start of this year with, with Walker leaving and uh, and Rosie having a long-term injury whether they'd suffer a little bit. And I think maybe they have suffered when teams have banked up behind them a little bit, especially at Wembley. You know, they found it difficult to break teams down. But if you play an expansive game against Tottenham, it plays right into their hands and they come after you and they can be very, very threatening. And you put the ball in the box and Harry Kane is, is you know... He can score with both feet. He can score with his head now. You know, he's he's a great focal point for the team. Quite unusual to have the derby at Wembley. Uh, set a new Premier League attendance record of 83,222. What was the fiercest local derby you played in atmosphere-wise? It, it's probably always... Well, as a derby, it was England-Scotland uh, for me as an international player, you know. Had some good ones in the time you were playing as well. Yeah, some fantastic games. I mean, you know, the, the one in Euro 96 was a good one couple of uh, games at Hamden as well that was the international side of it but Forest Derby was probably because I'm so synonymous with Forest as well and at the baseball ground they were fantastic games really tight atmosphere you know and, and they were great games to be involved in it was Southampton nil, Liverpool 2 in the late game on Sunday night. There was a bit of a rick from Wesley Hoot uh, who let Salah in to tee up Firmino for the first goal. It really irritated me watching it that he just completely failed to get his foot on the ball and get a proper clearance on it. What really winds you up when you're watching football? Um, I would say players going down cheaply, you know. We're trying to eradicate diving in the game, you know, and uh, probably that that would be a frustration for me. Um you know, I think we all like to see a full-blooded game uh, in this country and talent and whatever, but uh, if we can clean the game up in that respect, all well and good. Southampton just really failing to get a grip on this game. They couldn't seem to sort of change the tempo or the style just mm. being dictated to by Liverpool. How do you combat that in a game when you're the underdogs? It's, it's probably the toughest thing to do, to wrestle sort of... Um, 
momentum, an initiative, yeah, whatever word you want to use, to wrestle that away from the opposition. It comes and it goes and it ebbs and flows. And sometimes it's the smallest things, you know. You might just turn a throw-in over somewhere. It might be someone going on a, a surging run or winning a header in a critical area of the pitch. But the one thing you've got to do against the big teams, if you like, if you're outside the top six, your concentration levels have to be fantastic. They really do because, you know... Individually, man for man, chances are Liverpool are going to outgun you. Uh, so are Tottenham. So you know. So you've got to defend in numbers. You've almost got to outwork them if you possibly can. And when you look at the stats, um, some of the most hard-working teams in the league happen to be the ones in the top six. So there is a correlation there. The harder you work, the better you get. Return for Virgil Van Dijk to Southampton first since his mm-hmm. move from Liverpool. Were you ever in any similar situations as a player where you were going back to a team you'd left and he didn't perhaps have the nicest of receptions? I've never had that, to be fair. I've always left sort of... I left Coventry to go to Forest and then from Forest, my career took its natural course, if you like, of probably the only player that's ever gone back to play at Forest in a Manchester City shirt, uh, kicked the Forest right winger and the Forest fans started cheering my name you know it's bizarre But Who was the right winger? Uh, I think it was David Pruton at the time you know um, and Newcastle were quite good when you go back and play there they cheer you before the game and as soon as you take your first touch they start booing you know fantastic you Exactly know? as it should be But I, I've been very fortunate over the years every time I've gone back to a club I think they've probably appreciated the, the work and effort that I've put in for them whilst wearing their shirt Clearly left a good impression Everton 3, Crystal Palace 1 up at Goodison Park. Uh, a lot of injuries for Palace mm. at the moment. Uh, Hodgson isn't isn't really talking about them again and again the way that some managers might. But how do you stop that from unsettling a squad when you're clearly so uh, under par when you're just missing reams of players? Well, that's that's the difficult thing. I mean, going back now, our injury board at West Ham uh, three, four weeks ago was 12 players. You, you, you can't survive on that, not in the Premier League, you know. Um, and Roy's going through a stage at the moment. We know how important Zaha is to the team, you know, when he wasn't there at the start of the season, they missed him quite badly. They go into a run of quite tough games now coming up and... It's difficult, but the you know the other players you can't look back on who isn't there. It's all about the ones that do start the game and the ones that are there that can get a result for your football club. But he's done a wonderful job at, at Palace, you know, put them into a very good position at this moment. But I think from sort of about tenth down, everyone's looking over their shoulder and panicking, and uh, it's going to go right to the end of the season with some real critical head-to-head games. Yeah, it's incredibly tight still down there. It seems to change every week. This was obviously a great result from West mm. Ham's perspective. How soon after a game do you look for the other results for the teams among you, or is it too early in the season to be doing that? Um, I'd, I'm a studier of stats and a studier of league tables like you would never know. I mean, managers used to, as a thrower, I don't look at a league table. I look at a league table after one game of a season. Honestly, I looked for trends with goals scored, goals against, you name it. Do you ever look during a game? Uh no, but going up the tunnel at West Ham, I always have a glance. We've got a monitor on there to see the other results from elsewhere. I always do that. Um, I've got a, a copy that I'm going to update tomorrow morning about all the teams in the bottom 10, all the head-to-heads that they've got against each other, the importance of those head-to-heads, where they are, who's at home, who's away for the mathematical equations that, that come out of it. You're going to have to tell me more about this. What format is this in? Is it a spreadsheet? Well, not yet it isn't. It's, it's loose hand. Um, 
you know, but it's it's one of those I like to know what's ahead for for us as a team and where West Ham have have struggled a little bit, if you like. We lost a home game at Southampton. It was changed because the Olympic Stadium at the start of the year. So we've had an imbalance of away games so far, and I think we've got two away games coming up, and and that will give us a. You know, I think we've got five at home, uh, five, seven at home, five away, or something of that nature at this moment in time. So um, it's going to be interesting. But looking round to see how many of the other teams in that bottom ten actually play each other, uh, and the dynamic of that is is important. Another fantastic result for Swansea City, 1-0 at home to Burnley. Carlos Carvajal doing wonders in Wales. Went off the boil a little bit at Sheffield mm. Wednesday. But does the fact that he's thriving at Swansea prove that there perhaps isn't as much difference as people might think between managing in the Championship mm. and managing in the Premier League? Yeah, I think there's very little to choose. Management's management. You know, it's how you handle players, your man management skills, your, your technical ability, your coaching ability. It's a multitude of things. But what division you're in, I think in many ways is, is quite irrelevant. I really do. I I look at managers that have been sacked and I, I don't think that's any slight on them as being bad managers. It's just, you know, a, a multitude of things that, that probably come up. It's down to injuries, recruitment, you name it. You know, a lot of times when managers walk into clubs, you're beholden to what is there when you walk through the door at times. Bear in mind, what players have you got coming through the academy? What players have you got in your first team? Do your key players get injured at any given time of a season? You know, you might look at, well, if, if we took Palace, for instance, you know, um, Palace started the season without Zaha. Would their season have been slightly different with him in the team? Their results certainly, if you look at the stats on their results, would turn around and suggest that. Would that have kept another manager in situation? Probably maybe, you know, so it's it's a difficult one to call. It was Stoke City 1, Brighton 1. Some penalty shenanigans at the end of this game. Players fighting over mm. uh, who got to take it. What's your protocol at West Ham for penalties? Well, we've got a wonderful penalty taker in Mark Noble, you know. Um, so... We've been fortunate with Mark, and I've worked with Mark over with the under twenty one. So I know when he's been in my care, he's he's practiced some three hundred penalties. So I know his stats, and I know how good he is at taking penalties. Um, this is another problem that you'll have as a manager. I take it all all managers when they go in, there's a penalty taker on the pitch, and then all of a sudden you see one or two players squabbling over who's going to take a penalty. For me, it should be always the same: the penalty taker, no matter what state of the game it is takes the penalty. The only thing that might buck that trend is if someone's on a hat-trick and their team are safely nearly over the finish line, if you like. Quite. Well, that was the situation at Huddersfield. Some more shenanigans up there. Mooney wanting it. Van Lepara took it at the end to complete a fantastic 4-1 victory over Bournemouth. Huddersfield looking in real trouble this mm. time last week. Uh, now safely out of the mm. relegation zone, as we recalled. How close is the bottom of this league in quality when you compare the teams to each other? Um... It's on the day. Every team, I've got to tell you, is on the day. Anyone can beat anyone in the bottom 10. I think we're going to see some big results coming up between now and the end of the season in regard to the form book going out the window. I really do. Newcastle have proved that today, and I think that's going to be the case with this dogfight going on. The thing that's changed the dynamics in the, in the Premier League this year is the three promoted teams, and normally at least one of them will be in the bottom three most of the year. They started the season so well and that's put so much pressure on everybody else that's been in there. The chairman at their various clubs has relieved the pressure by sacking the manager. 
you know. And there's no team in this division that looks a real basket case, is there? You know, every time you you write Swansea off, let's say, uh, you know, eight weeks ago, they have a resurgence. You know, even if you look at the bottom table, the, the table at the moment, West Brom. I, I don't. I've seen West Brom on a few occasions, and we've played against them, and. We're fortunate enough to come out on top of them in a 2-1 late winner at home. And I looked at them and thought, you don't look like a team that's going to get relegated. And it really is a game of musical chairs in the promotion, in the relegation. It's going to be such an exciting season this year at the bottom of the table. The, the top's taken care of itself. Everyone's looking at the, at the relegation zone. And I think there could be eight teams going into it with about three games to play. Finally, Stuart, we've got to make the most of having you here. Recommend us a great punk record we might not have heard of. Uh, the Vibrators and uh, Sulfate. Solid. I love that. We'll be laying out our best cutlery for the return of the Champions League this week. Broadcaster and European football expert Mina Rizuki is with us to look forwards. Mina, your beloved Juventus are yet to let in a goal in 2018. They host Tottenham. What should Spurs be expecting in Turin? It's interesting, actually, because uh, having watched the Arsenal game, I uh, perhaps there were things about Tottenham that I didn't expect. And I've realised that they have quite a few tools to hurt Juventus. Now, Juventus had a really shaky start to the season. They uh, obviously lost Leonardo Bonucci and um, Massimo Massimiliano Allegri, despite the fact that he's a terrific coach, always needs a few weeks to really find the right system for the team and juggle it all together. And, and there were a lot of injuries, so he didn't have a midfield that he was very happy with at the time. And he had to integrate Douglas Costa and Bernadeschi and so on and so forth. But now, as you can see, they haven't conceded a goal. I think this was, what, 16 matches in a row. They only let one in. And they are very strong defensively. But I don't know whether they have that creativity and attack. And what they're waiting on is hopefully Paolo Dybala will be available to at least come off the bench. And he's somebody who can offer a lot of inspiration. As can Douglas Costa, who is somebody who, you know, he... He's he's good at dribbling. He can take players on. He offers that kind of threat and pace, and he'll run at you, and he doesn't have any fear. Um, not the most tactical at times, and you sort of wish you had a more all-round game, but he's someone who can change uh, the face of it. What you're going to look at is that it's a very organized side. They are not exciting going forward, but they will make it so frustrating at the back, and they love a battle. And Kalini is really relishing the fact that he gets to face uh, Harry Kane. And I think that's going to be very interesting because obviously of the physicality of it. But watching Dembele and how good he is on a physical level, as well as directing play and how he, how he can impose himself against technical players, this is worrying for the likes of Miran and Pjanic. And they don't have the energy of Blaise Matuidi because he's injured, sadly. So we're looking at a very technical and tactical midfield but one that can be overrun, physically speaking. So I'm a little bit more worried now than I was before. Would you rather have Higuain with all of his experience or Harry Kane for the purposes of this competition alone? Uh, would it be very disloyal of me to say I'd rather Harry Kane? <laughs> that would be completely accurate, I think. I just wondered if there was an argument to be made that Higuain has the kind of track record. Harry Kane perhaps not yet got that in the Champions League. Do you think it makes so much difference? Is, is he just good enough where that's not really relevant? I don't know if Higuain really has that track record that you speak of. He's got a lot of experience, don't get me wrong, and he's definitely, you know, going through a rich vein of form. 
he's been scoring non-stop and showing that kind of confidence and finishing ability that he's lacked in the beginning of the season because it didn't look like he was really fit. But I feel like sometimes in the big matches, he disappears. And Juventus don't necessarily play a style of play that aids him or helps him to be a striker. A lot of the times you'll see that he'll start a counter-attack and he'll kind of be alone and have no support because I don't know if Manzuki is a forward anymore. So often now he's sort of playing as a, as a left back that, you know, he's way back trying to win aerial duels, you know, against the opponent that it, it feels like Higuain doesn't have that support. And so what he's doing is linking up play more than being able to exercise, you know, or execute things that strikers should do in the final third, which is actually getting shots in and things. Harry Kane is almost a better player all round nowadays. When you watch him, he's just developed and, and, grown so much and I don't know whether experience is that important and I would I would argue that Iguain is not that great in big finals you saw that for Argentina you saw that in the in Champions League final uh, against Real Madrid I just I'm not sure whether the pressure or if he's well defended against that he can do something special but he'll definitely add a new dimension because he's a very helpful striker but yeah I'd rather have Harry Kane. Manchester City travel to Basel. It's naive to take anything completely for granted in this competition. But is there any scope whatsoever for a shock in this match? I actually don't think there's even like anything to worry about whatsoever. I don't think that despite that City's so beautiful going forward and they have so much in, uh, you know, in terms of offensive uh, ability, there is something to be said about their defence. It's not that strong. And if they do take their eye off the ball, then it can, you can score against them. But Basel will spend most of their energy and expend so much mental and physical energy on trying to contain City that I don't think they'll be able to pose a threat themselves. That will not be their priority. And I think unless they're going to you know, try to leave it to pace and absorbing the pressure, which they won't be able to because they're so much, I, I think it will be sort of an easy win for City. Porto are Liverpool's opponents, like Liverpool, quite an attacking side. Are there any players Klopp needs to be particularly wary of in Portugal? I can tell you that as much as they are a side that can be physical, sorry, that can be good going forward, they're strong defensively too, and they really know how to frustrate the opponent. And they're the type who, what they're very good at is using the full scope, which is something that we have in Italy, you know, of your abilities, which is cunning behavior. They know how to manage a match. They know how to annoy you and frustrate the opponent. They're very good at that. So that's one thing to look out for. I, I think their defense is what's going to be interesting if they're very organized. Can can an all-out attack ruin, like, you know, stop them? And then can they take their chances? Uh, what about Zinedine Zidane, all the pressure on him at this time? How much importance do you place on Real Madrid's match against PSG on Wednesday for his future? Well, we know what Real Madrid's like. They're the team that sack coaches even when they win themselves a the Champions League. You know, uh, we've seen that with your Pankers. We, we, we know what they did to uh, Ancelotti, obviously. And um, I think that this is important. He has been granted more time than I think any other coach would have just because he's a club legend. And... Uh, but right now, people are asking questions because obviously they're so behind uh, Barcelona at the moment. They're out of the Copa del Rey and it was, again, humiliating circumstances against sides that shouldn't really have ever felt in any way superior on the pitch. So this is the time for the Zidane Suzanne to show that he has the character to, re- to motivate a side that just looks like it's a bit down, down on its luck. I do think it's a perfect storm, so I'm, I'm very careful to not discount this team. Real Madrid is always Real Madrid. I do think that this is the game that you'll see the very best of them. People question whether or not they can 
switch that back on considering how they've been performing in the league. Uh, but this is the time for Zidane to show that he can actually motivate the squad, that he does and is a tactically good coach. Because if you look at his adjustments in the Champions League final, a lot of people change their minds about his ability because he made such good adjustments to ensure that win and, and superiority in the second half against Juventus. And it sort of made people think about it. And when you saw them against the Classico, especially in the first half, they were the better side against Barcelona. It's whether or not they can last for, for the 90 minutes and... Uh, and if, if they're out of the Champions League at this stage and they have nothing to play for for the rest of the season, I can't imagine he still have a job. No, very hard to picture indeed. Thank you very much for joining us, Mina. Thank you, Tom. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. The Premier League is close to announcing a new TV rights deal and our sports news correspondent Ben Rumsby joins us now to explain it all. Ben, the bids are in from the broadcasters. How does the process work from here and when can we expect an announcement about this? Well, it really could come any time, although history tells us that it's normally the middle of the week after the bids go in. So the bids went in on Friday. Um, They had to be in specifically between the hours of 8am and 10am. It was possible that the auction could have been done and dusted on Friday. That would have been highly unusual. It would have indicated that um, opening round bids would have been accepted on all seven packages. Um, The fact that that didn't happen tells us that it's quite probable that at least one of those packages has gone to a second round. And it's just a case of how many more rounds of bidding there are for how many packages as to how long um, it will take. So it could very well be on Monday. um, But as I say, historically, you're looking more likely at Tuesday or Wednesday. All the talk with football and other sports is of declining audiences through the traditional delivery mechanisms like TV. Does that mean that the price will be lower this time? No, I think we can very um, easily rule that out. Um, There are more games in this particular round of uh, rights being sold. Therefore, um, more games means prices will almost certainly go up. Um, That will be one of the big questions that fans will want answered as soon as uh, this auction is complete. If um, the winners are paying more than Sky and BT pay at the moment, then the only way they can make that work is to um, charge that back to the consumer. And last time when the rights went up by 70%, ultimately the consumers did end up um, funding much of that increase. Yeah, as you say, more games than ever before screened with this new deal. It would be more than half of the total football fixtures in the Premier League on TV when it kicks in. What impact do you think that will have on football in this country? Well, I think it will have a significant impact. Fans did not want this to happen, match-going fans. They believe that the 3pm kickoff time on a Saturday has been eroded too far already. Um, This will erode it further because you still are not able to show live televised matches during that window. So all the new games made available are at times which would make fans inconvenience, shall we say. Saturday night fixtures, um, midweek evening fixtures um, live on television. So um, it will have an impact from that point of view. And then from the watching public's point of view as well, um, you know, there'll be more choice um, and, you know, no one ever said that choice was a bad thing. Um, But whether the quality of what's being offered is better than now is open to debate because 
pretty much all of the best games are currently shown. And the ones that um, get added perhaps may not be as high profile as, as those shown already. Yeah, there's obviously that 3pm blackout enforced on uh, Saturdays in the Premier League. I suppose one way around that is just to keep televising more and more games and, and bring more and more slots. Is, is there anything in place to say that it all can't be televised and there might be no 3pm Saturday games at some point in the future? No, nothing whatsoever prevents that from happening. Um, only the, the, the clubs themselves who decide ultimately how many games go out to tender. Clearly, they will not want to do anything that totally alienates supporters. You know, it's important for the Premier League to have full stadia. It's one of the big selling points around the world. They've made it very clear that the atmosphere that's generated in the grounds is a major part of the product. And the fans know that now. The fans, when they talk about this, they realise that they are essential to the money-making machine. So the Premier League would be very wise not to alienate them further um, and going against what they want to do. BT Sport will presumably be in the bidding. It celebrates its fifth birthday this year. What sort of shape is it in as a company and is the indication that it's here to stay for the foreseeable future? Well, it says it's here to stay. Um, You look at the share price recently, um, it doesn't look particularly good for BT on on that front. it arrived with a huge bang back in 2012. Nobody saw it coming for Premier League football at that point. It then um, secured the Champions League in you know, a real big game changer. And then suddenly, I think it realised that it maybe um, got in too deep, uh, deeper than it intended to. It's not just the cost of buying the matches, it's the cost of putting on the show. You're talking hundreds of millions of pounds Um, in infrastructure to broadcast Premier League football. And I would say probably after those Champions League rights were won back in 2013, it it quite quickly regressed. And in the last auction, yes, it shot up to £5 But a lot of people believe that's because BC kind of conned Sky into thinking that it was was coming after Sky's rights in a big way. And and it didn't do so. It, it, It paid a lot less per match than Sky ended up paying. Some talk that one of the big tech companies like Google or Facebook might be interested. Is there any sign of that in this round of bidding? Nobody is commenting formally. Um, Some have informally let it be known that they won't um, be bidding or they haven't bid. Uh, The one that everybody is keeping a very close eye on is Amazon. Uh, They're one of the world's richest, if not now, the richest company in the world. Um, If they were so minded, they could absolutely blow Sky and BT out of the water um, and easily absorb whatever losses they would make in the initial years from uh, having to build a customer base to show Premier League football. Um, I spoke to them on Friday um, immediately after the auction closing and they they weren't commenting one way or the other on on whether they bid or not. The sense that people have, and it really is a bit of a guess, is that if they do bid, they will bid carefully um, it, it would fit in with how they've bid for sports rights up until now and you know potentially at best they can hope to pick up one of the small um, cheaper packages which is the um, the simultaneous broadcast games in midweek but there are very few rounds of those available so it, it would be a, a, a toe-dipping exercise of you know of, of, of significance I would say. Finally, Ben, some leagues, especially in America, televise their games themselves through apps and the like. Do you think the Premier League will do this at some point? They certainly could. Um, The difficulty the Premier League has is that Sky and BT guaranteed an income from the off. 
Um, if it was to sell directly to consumers itself, then it would not be guaranteed that income um, and would be beholden to people subscribing to its service. And clearly at the moment, it, it doesn't have a service. Um, it would be starting from a, a, a customer base of zero. Um, there is a uh, some there are some rumours which um, you know may just be rumours that perhaps Amazon may not bid for the Premier League rights, but may end up partnering with the Premier League for any packages that go unsold. So they end up transmitting a Premier League product um, on behalf of the of, of the Premier League itself, for being being the uh, the means to broadcast rather than the um, the broadcaster itself. If that makes sense. Quite, yeah, certainly a intriguing state of affairs. Keep it locked to telegraph.co.uk forward slash sport for the latest from Ben this coming week. Thanks very much, Ben. Thank you. Time now for your Hero of the Week, and we have chosen William Louis Sharp, better known to the world as Billy Sharp of Sheffield United, still just 32 years old and back with United for his third spell. He scored his 200th league goal on Saturday with a fantastic volley against Leeds United, adding a second from the spot later on. He also celebrated both goals with relish, despite Leeds being one of his former clubs, and he said afterwards, I have had stick before when I've celebrated against former clubs. My job is to score goals, so when I do score, I am happy to celebrate. Well said, Billy. Stuart, who is the best volleyer of a football you've ever played with? Um, I've never played with him, but probably in my generation, in my time, the one the one person who probably had a, a reputation of being a great volleyer of the ball was Mark Hughes. Were you ever close to him doing that on the pitch? A few of the balls have, have whizzed past my ears and into the back of our net. But um, yeah, he, he's the one that I'd probably say that... He probably volleyed more balls and, and being off balance volleying the ball as well is a real art. Yes, I'm not going to try it anytime soon. I don't blame you. That's all from Total Football this week. We'll have another episode for you this time next week in time for your Monday morning commute. If you're missing me in the meantime, why not contact me on twitter.com at Tom with an H Gibbs. Do you like what you're hearing? Then please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We appreciate everything nice that you have to say about our work here at Total Football. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Get into their back catalogue at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby.